Well, I'd like to have that text open in front of you, Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, as we come to this text tonight, I hope you can see how sweet those words are for the believer. You know, Psalm 19 speaks of the word of God being like honey and the honeycomb. And I would say to you that there is nothing sweeter than those words, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What can compare to knowing that? And these things are very beautiful for those who know and value the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are great and deep truths in this text. If you were to look over the words that I've just read to you in this verse, I'd like to ask yourself, how many people are there in it? Now, at first, you might think, well, there are two. You know, there's the the sinner who is speaking, and then there's the Savior of whom he is speaking. Well, that is right, but in a sense, not quite right. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, read again. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's talking of two persons, but who are almost as one. There is a union there. And we have this great truth of the the union of sinners with Christ by faith. And Paul is speaking in such a way as to explain that he and Christ are so intimately connected by grace that the two are almost one. And that is true of all believers. That is the the most incredible thing. It's a, a great mystery, but it's a reality. And I said to you so often recently that I am convinced that our understanding, our appreciation, our experience of this great truth of our union with Christ is vital in our walk with the Lord. And our issue is that we we don't know it as well as we should. But here we have the, the very pinnacle of the gospel that Christ came to save sinners. His great interest is in sinners. His great love is for sinners. You know, let me give you some reasons to show this further. Think even of his name. You know, think of his name, Jesus. What does it mean? He shall save his people from their sins. You know, that's what Jesus means, to to save sinners, to save his people, the Savior. His very name makes it clear to us that one of his great interests is in helping sinners like you and me. Or think of the other part of his name, Christ. What does it mean? It means somebody who has received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Why did he receive this anointing? Well, to fulfill his mission, to save sinners. From beginning to end, Christ was sent for sinners. He said it himself. You think of Luke 5, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, from the very outset tonight, you know, before we go on to look at some of these things, we need to be very clear about that. You know, even still, there are those who feel as though they they cannot come to the Lord Jesus for salvation because they're too bad. You know, they think, well, you know, who am I to go to the Savior? You know, who am I to be a Christian? You know, I'm sinful. I'm I'm unworthy. I I don't deserve his love. I, I don't deserve his mercy, his kindness. You know, I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. My dear friend, you need to know that he came for ones like you. And his purpose for coming into this world was to 
to save sinners, to bless the unlikely, and to love the unlovely. You cannot be too sinful for the Lord Jesus. By the way, you can be too righteous for him in the sense of those who are righteous in their own eyes, who think their own righteousness is good enough, full of self. They're the ones who don't get the blessing. But the ones whom Christ blesses are those who come to him because they know that they are poor sinners. They know their need. And if you read the Gospels again and again, you'll notice there was never an occasion when Christ refused to give help to any sinner who truly sought his help. There was never a time. And so tonight, be assured, whether we be young sinners, old sinners, middle-aged sinners, we're all the sort of people that Christ came to bless. And that's important to know. Many don't come to him because they think that they would not be welcomed. Some think they need to make themselves a little bit better before they come. That's not the gospel. As the hymn by Joseph Hart so rightly says, if you tarry, if you wait till you're better, you'll never come at all. Not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. He goes on, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And then the most amazing thing, this he gives you. You know? And that's really what we're looking at this evening. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And I want to ask you, I wonder if you've ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. I wonder if you've ever said to him, oh Lord, please have mercy upon me. I wonder if in the, the secret of your own heart when nobody else is listening and nobody else maybe can see, see you, have you said to him, Lord, I need you. Lord, I long to be saved. I long to know your blessing. I long to be, to be right with God. I long to be forgiven. You know, if you come like that, he won't turn you away. And Paul was brought to discover that. That's why he's able to speak in the way that he does under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here he talks with, with such depth and passion about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I want us to focus on this bond between the sinner and the Savior. What is this, this bond that is there? And as I said, we see in the text, there are these two persons, the sinner and Christ, but what binds them together? You know, is it the bond of faith? Well, yes, we could say that, but it's more than that. Is it the bond of friendship? Yes, but it's more than that. Is it, is it the bond of fellowship? Certainly, but it's even more than that. The Son of God loved me. You know, he loved me. That's the bond between the sinner and Christ, this bond of love. It's the best bond in all the world, the bond of love that, that binds Christ. To every sinner is enabled to, to come to him and cry out to him and trust him. I said this morning in our uh, message that we considered together that joy is the spirit of heaven. And love is too. Love is the spirit of heaven. And the gospel is the, the spirit of heaven come down in Christ. You know, the angels sang at his birth, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, those upon whom his favor rests. When any sinner comes to Christ, there is joy among the angels because the love of God has been poured out in the heart of the sinner and the bond of this stunning, saving love is manifested, is seen. And the Bible says that God is love. 
The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is marked by perfect love between them. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Perfect love and fellowship between the persons of the Godhead. You know, a a little study maybe that you could do, and it's a blessing if you do it. You know, look through, and when you read the Gospels, you'll discover that that's the way they talk about one another. And true one, there's wonderful respect and love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And when we look in the Word of God and we find that they speak of each other, it's always with that honor and respect because of the love that exists between them. And so this bond between the sinner and Christ is the best of bonds. It is the bond that the the moral law requires to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so we have this great bond, the love of God manifest, poured out in the heart. One preacher puts it like this, the soul is three-cornered like a triangle and it can only be satisfied with the love of the three persons of the Godhead. The human soul is made for God and to enjoy the love of God. Do you know, all of us long to be loved. You know, you find that in the world, people long to be loved. A, A child who is not loved will soon go astray. Marriage without love is empty, as is any relationship. Have you ever thought that hell is a place where nobody loves anybody else? But when we have Christ in the soul, we have sure satisfaction. And Paul knows it as he writes. And so this is the great bond between the sinner and Christ, this incredible love that has been poured out upon them. Now the question then comes to this. When did the sinner have this love? When did the Lord Jesus begin to love the sinner? You know, in our text, Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But when did the Savior give himself for the sinner? When did this love begin? Now, this is interesting. Some say, well, obviously. You know, when Paul was converted, you know, that's when that love was evident. And so on the road to Damascus, when Paul was confronted with that blinding light and faced the Lord Jesus and fell down and was converted, that's when Christ began to love him. Well, the Lord Jesus loves to see people follow him. But friend, this love began far before when Paul was converted. And Paul, you know, some will say, well, you know, if it wasn't at his conversion, maybe it was when, when he was born. You know, Paul says in Galatians 1.15, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And some might say from that, well, you know, Christ loved this man as soon as he was born. Well, it's true that Christ began to love this man as soon as he was born. Christ does love those who are his people as soon as they're born, but it goes back even before that. Christ loved this sinner in eternity, you know, before he existed. You see, the love of Jesus for his people doesn't just begin at our conversion or even at our birth. It it has no beginning in that regard. Christ has loved his people from everlasting He loves them to everlasting. He writes their names in the book of life. He loved them from eternity past. You know, and this this biblical truth is so vital and it's so real and yet so many want to disregard it. You know, and what is it? It's simply this. The eternal love of Christ 
for sinners given to him from before the foundation of the world. Christ loves his people before they love him. He loved his people before they knew him. And if you're a believer tonight, you can say that Christ has loved you eternally. You know, is that not a staggering thing? That Christ has loved you eternally. Now do you see something of the, the sweetness of this truth? It's so encouraging. You know, Christ didn't just begin to love you when you started to follow the gospel. He didn't begin to love you when you were born. He, he loved you when he was in the glory with his Father and the Spirit eternally. To help us understand, we, we use phrases like in that eternity past, before the world was. You know, and if that doesn't do our hearts good, then I don't know what we're made of. We must have hearts of stone if we don't feel gratitude to Christ for that. You know, the Bible speaks of this and speaks of this truth in very different ways. Let me give you some illustrations from Scripture. And you know, there are some who, who find this hard to bear, but this is the reality of what the, the Word of God teaches. Think of the Old Testament and the twins, Esau and Jacob. Born at the same time, they, they had the same parents, but in his sovereign purposes, the Bible says that God loved Jacob, but not Esau. It was God's choice. And we struggle with that. You know, why should that be? And here's the answer. God is God and we're not. God has a right to do whatever he pleases. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are high above. And may I say with all due respect to each one of you, who are we to question God? He did not need to love any. That's why Paul is so amazed that, that God should love him. You know, even more so when he considered how, how cruel he had been to the Lord's people and, and persecuting them and killing them and putting them in chains and blaspheming Christ. He, he didn't deserve such love. You know, he, he didn't deserve such favor from the Savior. And yet Paul is brought to see that even before the foundation of the world, Christ loved him. The Bible also puts it like this. God is like a potter. In Old Testament times, the potter would work the clay on a wheel to make pots or whatever, and sometimes the potter would decide to discard the pots, but it was his choice. And the Bible says that God is the potter, we are the clay. He makes one pot to honor, the other to dishonor. We say, but why should that be? He is God. He is not like us. He is sovereign. And all we can do is bow down before him and worship him. He has a right to do with you and me whatever he wishes. You know, and Paul marvels in the, the greatness of this, but in the fact that, that Christ loved him. And for every believer, we can know that God loves us with a, with a personal and particular love. You know, he doesn't just love in a, a, a general sense. He loves you. He knows you, believer. He loves you. You know, if you, if you went to a, a football match and you were there in one of these big stadiums, you know, maybe you're looking around at the, you know, 50, 60,000 people present. And then as you stood there in the center circle, you're looking around at all these people and you're told you've got to love all of them alike. Well, what would you say? You'd say, it's impossible. You can't do that. But then if you put in your crowd, you know, your, your mom or your dad or someone precious to you, you'd be able to say, oh, I love them. I love them. 
But we couldn't love all those people in that way. You see, love is a particular thing. And God's capacity to love is without limit. But the incredible thing is, he loves his people with a particular love. He knows each one of his own. He loves them specifically, equally, but personally. Not just as a a general mass. He loves them, his own people. He loves them with a, a personal love as though there were nobody else in the world. He loves them personally and individually because he is God. And this is the love that that Paul is speaking of here. The Lord Jesus Christ is is God. There is no unrequited love with him. You know, unlike the, the sad times in human relationships on occasion when one person loves and it's not returned. You know, that's never the case with the Savior. You know, there are some who say that it is. But his grace is is irresistible. His love is everlasting, it's overwhelming. And all those whom he loves come to love him. He woos them and he draws them and they come, every one of them. And that's why Paul and every believer can say, he loved me. He gave himself for me. We love him because he first loved us. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but it's what it says in Psalm 110 verse 3. It says this, Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. You say, well, what's that got to do with what you're talking about? Well, it means his people will be willing in the day of his power. And what I'm saying is this, that Christ comes to us and he woos us and and loves us and gives us to love him. And those of us who are believers testify of the difference. We love him. And we love him because he first loved us. You know, one of the older writers, Samuel Rutherford, put it very beautiful when he says this. He said, I used to love the world. I used to love the things of the world. But then Christ came from heaven and he stole away my heart and ran back up to heaven with it. And I could not love the world anymore. I have to love him. And you know, friends, we have to love Christ when he steals our hearts away. You know, when you fall in love with somebody, you cannot help loving them. You just love them because you do, and that's what a Christian is. They cannot help but love the Lord Jesus. You know, the wonderful love that is found here is a distinguishing love. It marks us out. It is the the love of which the Scriptures speak so powerfully. You know, there are those who say that the Bible teaches that we have this power in ourselves to choose Christ and that God is all the while waiting for us to somehow take the initiative and and to come to him. And and we have also the power to reject the grace of God in Christ. And, you know, we can choose to be a Christian, but then we can choose not to be a Christian and we can lose the salvation we once had. Friends, these things are not what we find in the word of God. Salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. And the work that he begins, he will complete. He gives eternal life, not temporary life. He makes us born again. And once we are born again, we cannot be unborn again. He takes the initiative. He sets his love on us. He draws us. He saves us. He keeps us. And once Christ Loves the sinner. He loves them forever because it's an eternal, everlasting love. Do we deserve it? No. But he loves us and we love him. 
Do you know, I don't know if you've ever thought, if God's covenant with us, if God's acceptance of us was based upon our love for him, or even, you know, our daily performance of how well we'd love the Lord Jesus on that particular day, let me say this, none of us, none of us would remain in relationship with him for any time at all. We won't be able to do it. The wonder of his covenant with us is that it is founded upon his work, his action, his choice. He has called us to himself. He loves us from eternity past. He won't cast us off. And that is what Paul is saying. That in Christ we have this salvation. And Christ has loved us and will keep us. Has demonstrated that in giving himself for us. He bought us with his blood. And he will not let us go. He loves us before we existed. And we say, you know, why, O oh Lord, such love to me? His sovereign purpose and good pleasure. And if we are believers, he has given us this wonderful knowledge and experience of his love. And friends, that should be such an encouragement to us. And it's given to us this, this insight into it so that we should never feel alone because he's with us. You know, if we have Christ, you know, we, we can find that strength. We can find that encouragement, even when all others may turn away from us. We don't need to be afraid of what tomorrow will bring. We have no need because he is with us. And he loves us and he will not let us go. Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so this, this bond between the sinner and Christ is the love of Christ. And it's true that the Christian loves Christ. But what Paul is talking about here is Christ's love for us. He loved us, gave himself. You know, it's love which then issues in action. You know, some people say they love you, but they go missing. They never do anything for you. You know, some people are fair-weather friends. You know, they, they've got the, the big words, but, you know, they don't come through when you need them. And some people only love you for what they can get out of you. But Christ is not like that. He only loves us to do us good. You know, we can't do any good to him. He's got everything in the universe as his own, and yet he came in selfless love to give himself on the cross for us. And on the cross, he, he took our guilt and he died to bring us to God. Jesus, our Savior, loved us, gave himself for us on the cross. He stood in our place. He wiped out the, the handwriting of requirements against us. He has taken our sin and nailed it to the cross. And all our sin is laid upon him as our substitute. He bears it all away and endures the wrath of God to save us. He has paid our ransom and we are redeemed now and forever. We don't need to fear judgment. There's now no condemnation for those in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, we can, we can never grasp the depth of it, the magnitude of this love which brought him to that cross. And so we can only say, oh, he loved me. And he gave himself for me. He demonstrated that love in that he was willing to die for me. Do you know, I heard the following illustration a little while ago. Some of you have heard of a man called Charles Dickens. He's a very famous English writer. And amongst his many works is a book called The Tale of Two Cities. And uh, it's about the French Revolution. And in it, there's a, a story. Sorry if you've not read it. It's a bit of a spoiler, but there we are. There are two men, and they look similar. And they also love the same woman. 
One is called Charles Darnay and the other is called Sidney Cartham. And Lucy is the woman's name that they both love and eventually she marries Charles. And throughout this work, Charles is presented as the hero whilst the other guy, Carton, does nothing to endear himself to the reader. He's a, a repugnant character. But it all changes when Charles is sentenced to death in the French Revolution. And with Charles's death, you know, the way will be open for this other character, Sidney Carton, to go and marry Lucy. But Sidney visits Charles in prison the day before his execution. And he plans to do something incredible. And in fact, what he does is this. He, he drugs Darnay, Charles, who falls asleep, and then he changes clothes with him. And he changes clothes with him, and then once in place, Sidney calls the guards, and he gets them to, to take Charles out, to remove him. And he exploits his physical resemblance to the prisoner, and Carton enables this unconscious Mandani to be carried out to be freed. So the one who is to be executed is allowed to go free. And Sidney bravely takes the place of his rival and faces death. And when a young seamstress, also facing her death, realizes what Sidney has done and that he's taken Charles's place, she's amazed. And she asks him to hold her hand for strength and she's deeply moved that he should give himself as the substitute. And Sydney is executed so that Charles can go free. You know, that's a, a, a literary illustration and it's there. But the truth of substitution is essential to the gospel. Christ, who came from heaven to take our clothes and give us his clothes. He took our rags, he, he took our sins, and he gives us the royal robe of sunshine. He loved us enough to take our place so that we could be delivered. You know, this love that we've been speaking of is demonstrated in this action, this sacrifice to save. Let me give you another illustration. Queen Victoria, great monarch in this country, was one day traveling in an open carriage through London and great crowds had gathered along the streets to try and catch a glimpse of Her Majesty as she made her journey. And suddenly a man stopped the carriage and, and drew a pistol and pointed at the queen, uh, attempting to assassinate her, intending to shoot her dead. And another man in the crowd, he saw what was happening, and instantly, without a thought, he threw himself in the way of the bullet. And he lost his own life, but he saved the queen. You know, again, the Lord Jesus stands in the place of curse and judgment, and he takes the bullet, as it were, of God's judgment in himself. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. You know, that's the, the very heart of the gospel. Christ loved us, gave himself for us. You know, and if we're believers, all oh, the love of Christ should overwhelm us. No wonder Thomas Chalmers could say that the Christian has discovered that expulsive power of a new affection. What did he mean? He meant that when we're converted to Christ, when we believe in Jesus for ourselves, we can never be the same as we once were. You know, grace changes us. You know, how, how can we live like other people? How can we just live as the world when we know that the Son of God has loved us and died for us? 
You know, how can we just go back to the world? How can we go back to the drink and the frivolity of the world? How can we go back to the sinful pleasures of this life? How can we just live like other people? Well, friends, we can't. The expulsive power of a new affection, if we love Christ, we can't be in love with this world. We're crucified with Christ, says Paul. You know, an old preacher in Aberdeen used this story to great effect. There was a young woman in the prime of life and she was extremely beautiful and she was the daughter of a very rich man who lived in a a sort of great mansion, almost a castle. And uh, the mother had died and she was his only child and all the more precious for that. And the father was very concerned that his beautiful daughter, precious to him, should marry wisely and marry a man who would love her. Well, one day, there was a knock on the door. And at the door, there was a a beggar in rags. And he said, what do you want? And uh, he said, may I have a word with the young lady who lives here? And the maid who was dealing with the man seemed reasonable enough. And so the girl was called for and down she came. And this beggar spoke to this girl and she looked at his rags and then he went on his way. And uh, as soon as the beggar had gone, she went upstairs to her father. And he said, who was that? And the daughter said, Father, that's the man I'm going to marry. And the father said, I don't think so. And he looked to the window and saw, going down the large drive, this ragged man. He said, you must be out of your mind. You know, you're not serious. She said, oh, yes, he's going to come back in a year. And he's going to marry me. Well, the father, as you can well imagine, tried every argument he knew to discourage his daughter from this unsuitable match, as he thought. But nothing would change her mind. You see, in that time that she'd had with him, she said, I I love him and he loves me and he will be a perfect husband for me. And the days went by and the days turned to months and with the ongoing of time, one year came round. And on that day, she was dressed to perfection, waiting for her bridegroom to come and the father sobbing his eyes out at the loss of his daughter to such an unworthy beggar. And then when all were waiting at the gates of the castle grounds, there was the sound of a trumpet and a man on a white charger with a retinue of servants came down the drive. You see, he was a prince who had disguised himself in rags and spoken his words of love. And the lady you see had recognized the prince inside the rags. And all lived happily ever after. You know, the old preacher preaching in Aberdeen made the point that probably we've all seen by now. You know, that is Christ and his people. When Jesus came the first time to Bethlehem, he came in rags. But when he comes in the end of history, every eye will see his glory. 10,000 times 10,000 will be with him. And for those of us who love him, oh, how we long to see him. You know, no wonder the apostle said with great love and affection, the son of God loved me and gave himself for me. You know, if, if only I could see to it that every one of you here would love the Savior and would trust him and give your hearts to this one who is above all others. You know, maybe this night you'll finally turn from all else and, and call upon his name because he is worthy 
of all your affection and your belief and your trust and your hope. And you can know that he saves to the uttermost. You know, maybe you're here and you say, well, in all the things that you've been saying, how can I know that he'll accept me? How can I know that I'm one upon whom his love rests? How can I know these things? It's very simple. Believe him. Trust him. Come to him. You know, that's the reality. And for those of us who do love him, we love him because we know that he loves us. And we look to that day when we will be with him. You know, don't you? Do you long for that? Do you long to be with Jesus? To see him as he is? When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon radiant sun, when I stand with Christ on high, looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then how much I owe. He loved me, has loved me from everlasting. He has loved me, given himself for me to save me, and he will ever love me, one day taking me to be with him, to see him and love him and worship him forever, and to be with all others who have known that same love too. I hope that you'll be there. We have a glorious future. May you be able to say this night, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Amen.